podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a defender fighting to protect your organization from cyber attackers, you must be successful ending attacks every single time. They only need to be successful once. Cyber Reason reverses the attacker's advantage. Our future-ready attack platform gives defenders the wisdom to uncover, understand, and piece together multiple threats, and the precision focus to end cyber attacks instantly. Together, we are the defenders. Cyber Reason. End cyber attacks. From endpoints to everywhere. Learn more at cyberreason.com that's c-y-b-e-r-e-a-s-o-n.com when you're ready to ride metro we want you to know we're ready for you here are just a few of the people at metro to tell you how we're doing our part to keep riders safe we're cleaning like never before we're hospital grade cleaning you'll find hand sanitizer stations all over the metro no mask no Metro. Need one? We have a few extras. At Metro, we're doing our part to keep the D.C. area moving. Find out more at wmata.com slash doing our part. They could break here, Chelsea. This could be the moment. Frank Lampard for Chelsea. It's Carvalho to his right. Lampard for the title. Lampard, it's 2-0. It's Chelsea's championship. And 50 years of waiting have come to an end. It's Lampard. Comes out to Essien! Oh my goodness. It's a counter attack. It's Didier Dropper. And now Kadir in the middle. Dropper goes. Stretch it. Stretch it. Mix it on Menidou. Stretch it. Stretch it. And Didier Dropper has it. Dropper in the centre. McCoy just came to the ground and was still that bad going back to Magnus. Well, it's possibly bleak as this. Hello, welcome to Chesi Hour. My name is Meads, I'll be your host for this one. Um, we've got two special guests. Uh, we have Joe. What are you saying, man? Yeah, good, man. Really, really good after the past couple of wins. So, uh, yeah, hopefully a bit more positivity on this pod than the last one. Honestly, man. Ah, Jay, how you doing, bro? All good. All good. Yeah. No complaints. Couple, couple negatives as always, but, you know, positives, positives more so yeah. this time. We'll, t- we'll touch on the negatives. I know in comparison to last week, it was uh, a little bit heavy um, and I was ranting an awful lot and talking an awful lot. So, apologies on that one. But on this one, I guess we've got a couple of things um, because I feel like obviously our first game was against Watford and it feels like quite a while ago. And uh, Joe, how did you feel about the game? And how did you feel like the performance went really? I know it feels like, yeah, about, I know it was only five days ago, but yeah. <laughs> a long time ago. 
no, I'm, I'm definitely losing track of the games at the moment. So it's uh, it's nice to be reminded that we did actually win. So uh, <laughs> yeah, no, but uh, I think uh, the most important thing for me was was to see like an immediate response to the defeat against West Ham. Um, you know, this team. I know that we talk about it often, and people kind of dismiss it, but they're still very young, both in terms of age, but also Premier League experience. And you always question, or certainly I certainly question, when you don't have some of the more experienced players regularly featuring, you know, just the, the overall reality of the team, how they respond to big, big uh, setbacks. So it was nice to see the the level of performance go up considerably from the West Ham game. But also I just think the the level of calmness in the game, the level of control, I don't think we ever really looked that threatening or that threatened, I should say. Um, and it was just, yeah, it was like the perfect sort of antidote to the West Ham game. I know, you know, we were very, very stressed out to that victory. And quite okay, a lot of us kind of felt it in our bones that it was coming against West Ham. You know, it is sort of their fixture every season that they seem to play like the the peak of their powers and we never seem to quite hit hit the heights that we should. But yeah, the Watford performance for me was was a nice um contrast to that. And I think it set up set us up pretty well for the for the running. Obviously we'll talk about Palace in a bit, but it was a really I think solid performance, particularly because they're quite a physical team as well. And I think we, we know that I have some reservations about how we sometimes deal with some of the more agricultural aspects of, of the Premier League. So it was nice to see, you know, Deeney get handled and, and some of the more physical players not look as, as, as comfortable. So, yeah, I was, I was happy with the performance. Jay, we're talking about um, Kurt Zuma and his absence for a little while. Um, do you feel like we missed him at West Ham? And I guess these last two games have been Kurt Zuma in for... Um, Rudiger, and you feel like our defence has improved, especially against Watford, I felt like we looked very, very assured in terms of comfort. Um, I think in the second half, there was a little bit of issues, but that really stemmed from the midfield. How do you feel like Kurt Zuma has like stayed down the claim? Because there, there was a bit of murmurs about, about him potentially leaving. Um, yeah. What do you feel about all of that? Yeah, that, crazy how, how dominant he's looked in the last two games at the back. Mm. And like, I even think, like, I don't know, he's probably been doing it from before as well, but it looked a bit more, even more, like, seeing him come back in these last couple of games. But maybe that's just because of how bad people like Rudiger have been and stuff like that. So it's, yeah. probably, it's probably that. But I think if you look at who was causing trouble at West Ham, people like Antonio that are, you know, that's... Kurt Zuma all day. I think that's the kind of battle that Kurt Zuma lives for. Like, yeah. and I feel like I don't think Antonio would have been as confident going up against the Kurt Zuma as a, as compared to like a, a Rudiger, where although he's quick and he can win those foot races, when it comes to outmuscling people, I still think Rudiger's quite slight in terms of frame and, and yeah. build and stuff. Like that. So he's not really dominant in terms of strength, and and Zuma's got both. Mm-hmm. which is obviously very scary and very daunting if you're like a striker that's going up against him. Do you know what I mean? So. I feel like with Rudiger, I feel like a lot of people misjudge his strength, um, misjudge the power that he has. Because I don't think he's yeah. um, very strong at all. I feel like he's very easily muscled off the ball. Um, I feel because they see aggression in terms of the way he plays, they misjudge the aggression for actual strength and power. And he just doesn't have it. Um, that's why he often gets bullied. So I remember there's the games against like Manchester City and Aguero's holding him off, no problem. It's just it's not it's not good. So when you look at Kurt Zuma, he's a very imposing figure. Um and we'll get onto set pieces a little bit later on. Um but yeah. Zuma instills a little bit of solidity just in presence alone. But 
in the way Dini, he plays. Dini, sorry, yeah, the Dini tackle, just before you carry on, the Dini tackle. The, the, yeah, straight up, that is, that is like a perfect example of the difference between, I think, Kurt Zuma and a lot of the others is that he's willing to, like, proper rattle you straight yeah. from the, the off kind of thing. And, and I think after that, Dini just, he struggled to mm. get into the game. I think he wasn't his normal self. So. What's a bit interesting is that it's almost like, I feel like Kurt Zuma's probably more than anyone else benefited from, you know, playing with John Terry. Because yeah. John Terry, back in the day, like, he just, he went for you just to let you know he's about. And they got him in trouble a couple of times on, you know, the, the Sanchez-Barcelona um, semi-final. I remember, like, he obviously he got sent off for it. But John Terry likes to make the strikers and the forward players aware that he's there. And I feel like a lot of our defenders since him aren't really about that. But Zuma's benefited because he played with him for, uh, I think, a year or two. Um, yeah. So you could see in terms of leadership qualities, in terms of aggression, in terms of controlled aggression, you could see Zuma, he wanted to make a mark on Dini and <laughs> Dini was gone. Like, I, think, I don't think Dini recovered from that. I don't think it was like a bad tackle or anything, but it was like, okay, I'm in a game here and I'm, gonna, I'm coming up against someone that is really solid. Um, but you're right, against, against West Ham, we just lacked that. We didn't match their aggression. And I feel like if there's any areas in the pitch that you need to have a, a aggression, it really should be in your defence. Um, because you have one player. You need yeah, at least yeah. one. So, um, yeah, Zuma definitely improved us. In terms of set pieces, Joe, how do you think we did against um, Watford? Because I was still nervous, mate. After West Ham, I was, I was shit myself. <laughs> I was definitely nervous as well every time. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think there, has, there have been some, some slight tweaks to, to how we've defended them, but I think a lot of it comes down to, to personnel. Um, you know, Zuma... Yeah, you know, he missed time things and stuff like that. But I think you're, you're right, Means In terms of the perception of him as a player and what you see, the physicality, the size of him, mm. I think teams, teams take less chances in their delivery. They take less chances with, with the kind of players they can put on him. And I think just him being there as a presence, I think that that actually sort of gives us a little bit more security there. Um, but, if, you know, we, we kind of spoke at length a little while back. I think that until Chelsea have probably another 6-2-6-3 player playing regularly, um, it's going to be difficult to, to, you know, you can't go man for man with a team, you know, with a midfielder who the tallest person is like 5-5. Five, five. Yeah. Um, you know, and if you're going to play zonal, then you need to have at least three players who are good in the air to line that, you know, the front post zone, mid post and back post zone. You need three good players there. And I think we probably have one to two if, if Giroud and Zuma are playing. So it's going to be a point of, of contention. I know Lampard maybe simplified it a little bit around height, but... It is, it is a skill. You know, we've seen, you know, shorter players. Puyol being an example, quite a short centre-half. He was great in the air. Yeah. Um, Brandon is only 6'1". He's one of the best defenders of ball I've ever seen in terms of crosses. So, yeah. I think it's a little bit on skill set, a little bit on profile and personnel. But I did feel, with Zuma in there, that there was a little bit more calmness. Even I mean, we are still chaotic, don't get me wrong, but I felt we were, it was a little bit calmer than, than I mean, you know, Comparing the West Ham game to Watford, it was like, you know, watching peak AC Milan with Baresi, Maldini, those guys compared to what we oh. saw against West Ham. Do you, do, you think, proof, yeah. do you think that um, because of the, the West Ham game as well, do you think Zuma came in with a little bit more of like a, I need to show that yeah, 100%. proper can defend? Yeah. I felt like in Watford, in the Watford game, he was trying to get to everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. More so than I've seen him. I, I don't know... Like I said, it's, it's hard to judge because I think with Rudiger being there before, 
it's like it might look so much better. But I just felt like Zuma had a proper point to prove when he came in. Yeah, yeah, it could. But then again, it could, like you said, it could potentially be recency bias because we haven't seen Zuma for so long. Really, yeah. truly, because yeah. before the lockdown, we, we barely played. I think we played one game against Leicester in the FA Cup, but he hadn't played for quite a while. It's been yeah. Rudiger and Chris Jensen for for quite for quite some time. So. I think, like in terms of like memory and how he plays and stuff, we might have a little bit of a um, bias because we don't actually remember. Because it's quite yeah. difficult to remember because it's been such a long time. I definitely feel like in terms of corners, I feel like I don't know if it was him just being the spare man, but the ball definitely seemed to be a magnet to him, and he used to he just attack the ball and just get, gets it clear. So it's interesting how that presence literally changes. And I wouldn't say we're still defensively solid from set pieces, but. We definitely look a little bit more sure. There's definitely a yeah. lot less danger, especially when Giroud's playing as well, because Giroud can attack the ball. Um, I think that's just something that Tammy really needs to learn, because against West Ham, he wasn't doing that role in terms of attacking it and getting it clear like Giroud did. Um, so, it, like Lampard, it's funny. Lampard, I, I read this comment, and I can't lie, I felt a little bit disappointed, because I felt like, this is so basic, Frank. Like, it's, it's not about height, it's about your defensive setup. But ultimately... He's kind of got a point. If you're going to play, you know, taller pairs, they obviously need to attack the ball and be able to attack the ball. So Zuma and Giroud definitely helped us a lot in regards to our defensive set pieces. Um, in terms of, like, the midfield um, in that game, how do you think we did? Because lots of people are talking about the Barkley performance. I think he scored a goal in the end, the last goal. Um, Mason Mount, I thought, was fantastic again. Yeah. Um, he's definitely been one of those players that since the restart, him and Pulisic have definitely taken up a notch. Because I thought Mason Mount was he was weighing, he was on the wane a little bit um, pre-lockdown. He had a he had a great performance against Everton, had a good performance I think against Liverpool, but before then he was looking a little bit jaded. Um, how do you think he done, Jay? In in, in that game especially, because I thought I thought it was really good. Yeah, no, I thought I thought Mason Mount was amazing, and I think. Um, when you're a player like Mason Mount that has so many good qualities in different areas, so like in terms of like his his engine, in terms of how much he can run about the pitch, he he's so he's so fit as a footballer. Um, his technique, then he's got he's got a little bit of flair as well. Yeah. He can deliver like he, he can deliver in terms of crosses. Like he's he's such a well-rounded player that you can see him becoming a player like a really important player for Chelsea. Now that I'm seeing him do this kind of work in, in, in like different roles. And I think, um, I remember Yas saying, Yas and Pearl's mentioning like the difference between maybe roles and positions. And I think it's been a good example of like how Mason Mount's um, games changed mm-hmm. in terms of what his role is now in the team. And he's, he spoke about it as well. He said himself like, I've been working on how to affect the game when I'm not, you know, further forward or in a tackle. So I think credit to him, man. Like he's completely like, I wouldn't say he's changed his season because I think he's been, you know, as a youngster, you're going to be inconsistent with performances. But I don't know. I just feel like there's a proper maturity to the way he's gone about the rest of the season so far. So I'm really impressed by him. I, I can't lie. I think he's he's been a key reason as to why we've played so well since the restart. Yeah, I feel like with Mason Mount, I think I've always been like an advocate of Mason Mount being a little bit deeper because I've always seen he's got the technical quality to do so. And I feel like as a number 10 or in the the second striker slash attacking midfielder role and the way that he plays it and applies it, um, I feel like he will generally, it'll be quite difficult for him because I feel like, yes, he does have the ability to receive the ball in a half turn, but 
his first thought isn't necessarily looking at what's around him. I think he generally, his first thought is to get it. If I can play someone in, I'll shoot. Um, and whilst that's good and it does have its benefits, it also has its, its faults because if you don't have the, the ability to to turn on the pressure, it becomes very difficult. And I feel like sometimes like, Mount would get, you know, I wouldn't say bullied in there, but it'd be very difficult for him to affect a game. And um, he then leaves gaping spaces because he done, if he loses the ball, he then tries to press. And then that impacts the rest of the solidity of the team. Um, Joe, in terms of like this transformation, because like you said, it's not, I wouldn't say a transformation, but adaption. Because he did say um, in the post-match against Watford, he was surprised to be man of the match, which was funny. But I think I could say maybe it was, it was a close toss-up between him and Barkley. Um, and we'll get on to Barkley a little bit later on. Um, again, but in terms of Mount, this version of Mount, do you, is this the version you want to see? Is this the version you like? Or do you prefer the, the more attacker, the aggressor, you know, the, the one that's pressing all over the place and trying to shoot? Um, what, 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 what variation of Mount do you like? Or is it just all of them? Because Mount is a great player, really and truly. Yeah, I think he, he is certainly a very good example of this new breed of, of central midfielder, this kind of multifunctional kind of player. You know, he can play as a number 10. I think probably he could do a job as a number six if he really wanted him to. I think he's, yeah, but for me, the, the balance he has as a number eight, the way that he impacts the game defensively, he's one of the most defensively mature players I think I've ever seen at his age, the way he, he presses and the way that he can win the ball back and just his general work rate and, and sort of positioning and, and I suppose football IQ when we don't have the ball. But I, I really like the, the fact that he can massively now impact games from deeper. I think that for me is the, is the thing where he adds benefit to Chelsea. You see some of these little kind of like line-breaking passes that he plays into someone who is where he would have been standing like two, three weeks before lockdown. Those passes to me are not something that everyone in that Chelsea midfield can do. I think that is where you get the, the benefit of having Mountner because he will try those passes. You know, he can still carry the ball. I think we've seen, you know, there was a, I don't know if it was the Palace, it actually was the Palace game, that little half turn sort of drag that he did around the corner. You know, yeah. he's, got, he's got exceptional feet. Um, and I think that the thing as well, if you're looking at sort of the, the future combinations of players that we're, that we're bringing in there, what Mount gives you with, with his defensive ability and just his general work rate, you can get away with playing a Ruben or a Havertz there and giving them a bit more of a free role because Mason's defensive kind of acumen balances that out quite nicely for me. Mm. And I think also, you know, when you're looking at pairs and stuff like that, the reason Barkley has shone when he's played with Mount is because I think Mount makes up for a lot of those mental deficiencies that Barkley has because yeah. Mount's positioning and the way that he can play the game enables other players to play better. So I'd really like to see at some point Mount and Ruben play together. I think that would be a really interesting combination. Um, but that this kind of number eight role, this kind of sort of box-to-box role for Mount, I think that, that's the way forward. It seems to be the way, you know, football is going, you know, kind of physically gifted players who, who have technique play in midfield now. And I think he fits that mould. So I think he's kind of found his calling. I prefer him then being a distinctive number 10. I think the point you made about him sort of being back to goal and receiving the ball was, was, was crucial because that, that to me, that, that's not his game. That, that's a very, very specialised skill set that you have to have to play on the half turn constantly in, in those kind of really tight areas. So gives him a bit more freedom, a bit deeper. And I think we've seen probably the last couple of games, his most consistent form to probably going from Everton on, on to now in that kind of withdrawal number eight role. So yeah, I'm, I'm super happy with him. What, what's interesting about Mount is, I think he, his comments after the game really impressed me because I felt like not only was there a maturity, but I think that there was almost like a like an awakening of him. Because I always saw him as a type of player that 
has the capacity to be in, in that number eight role. Like a seven, a Kevin De Bruyne, I wouldn't say that he's on the same level, but in terms of skill set, I thought they're quite, they're relatively similar. Um, yeah. So I feel I've always been quite comfortable with the idea of him playing there. And you're, you're absolutely right. Um, Barkley's form has definitely been largely helped because of Mason Mount's ability and capacity to drop deeper and find him. Um, whereas before, it's I mean, Kovacic breaks lines, but not through passing, but through his dribbling. But once it gets to the middle third, it kind of, I mean, once it gets to the final third, it tends to go to it go to pieces because he isn't finding that incisive ball. And Mason Mount is probably already in the box. Whereas now, Barkley, what he is really good at, to be honest, if you're giving him, you need to give him his, his dues, is that he's very good at occupying that number 10 space or moving into that number 10 space and then able to turn. And that's why he was able to find the... the the pass um, to Giroud, which was great, because that punch into him from um, uh, from Mason Mount was in, a great pass that broke the lines, entirely disorganised their midfield, and then Barkley disorganised the defence by dropping the set number ten roll, slipping in Giroud, and Giroud great finish for the first goal. So I feel like that combination works really, really well. And you're right in, in terms of looking at the future, um, Ruben off to cheek. Um, coming in and playing with Mason Mount, that's a very big possibility. And it's what's good about Mason Mount's flexibility is that he'll always be in your thoughts when it comes to picking a squad, always be in your thoughts when it comes to picking a team. So it's going to be very, very interesting. So I, I agree, that performance was very, very good. Um, I think there was a couple of nervy moments we want to talk about in terms of Billy Gilmore and, or Jorginho. We'll get onto that bit um, in the next segment. But. Support for this episode has been provided by Ratio Keto-Friendly Dairy Snacks. If counting macros makes your head spin, count instead on a snack by Ratio. They've done the math for you, so you can spend less time studying the label and more time enjoying your day. Creamy and delicious, try strawberry and vanilla for two grams of carbs and a unique combination of sugar and protein. Interested? Ratio Keto-Friendly Dairy Snacks are now available in the yogurt aisle at Walmart. Always consult your physician before starting an eating plan that involves regular consumption of high-fat foods. In terms of Billy Gilmore, when he came on for the injured Kante, um, I don't know. He, he he hasn't started post-lockdown games that well. He's not been the same. He's not had the same sharpness and same bite that he, he had before. But um, it it Watford's well re- reemergence, I guess, um, in that game came the moment that Kante came off and Billy came on. It was a big call from Frank Lampard because obviously Jorginho was on the bench. And this was, I think, the fourth game that Jorginho hadn't featured. So, yeah, Jay, what, what did you think of that little cameo from, from Gil- Gilmore? I think it was like, a 20-minute cameo. It was about 20 minutes. What did you think? Yeah. As soon as he came on, to be honest, like, I think um, he had a couple of moments where he got out-muscled like, very mm-hmm. early on. on the... And I, the thing about this is, I'm not too harsh when you come on in that position because I think it's a hard position to come on and kind of, you know, get the tempo of the game, like get used to it. I think it's a very difficult position to come on and, and kind of, um, you know, settle into the game. The very, so best, like- the very best registers or best DMs generally will come in and just fit into the tempo of the game. Yeah. I remember Seth Fabregas, whenever he used to come on and control games, we won the title on the Conte. He just used to come on and just control the game. It's just crazy how the be- the re- very best can do it. And be- this, that's not a slight on Billy. He's still young, obviously. So and that's what I'm going to say. Yeah, because he's still young, I think that's playing a major part in, in um, like, 
trying to be able to do that and come on and, and just settle in straight away. And I think, and then just generally, obviously, you look at his height and you look at his size. Mm. You're not surprised. I, the thing is, for me, I'm not surprised to see him get muscled, like muscled off the ball or anything like that. So I'm, I'm not surprised to see him get up muscled. I know the core rate all day long, um, Chalobar, all of them guys, strength-wise, they're going to out-muscle him. I, that's, I've never said, you know, him coming in will be a thing where he'll out-muscle others. But what I do think he normally has in his locker is that he's a bit more sharper on the ball right. and he's a bit more aware around him. So, like, he doesn't allow you to get close, yeah. which was what we saw early on when, when, when Billy was playing mm-hmm. those, those first couple of games before the lockdown. So, I think um, getting used to the tempo, I think it, that's, that's something that we've seen early on that clearly, just because he had those two good games to start off with, yeah. doesn't necessarily mean that he's, he's you know... The completely the premiership. Yeah, he's, he's not. He's not. And I think, you know, obviously everybody rightfully got excited about Billy Gilmore because he's a top player and, and you still saw some quality like when he came on in terms yeah. of his passing and his range and that. But yeah, I think it just, that same question in, in terms of in that position remains like, mm-hmm. who is the best fit for that position? Because mm-hmm. you see stuff like that again, which is similar to what I've seen with Jorginho, to be fair, as well, when he gets out muscled and, and you know, ragdolled all over the place sometimes. Like, I just want to see a little bit more dominance in that area or whoever it is that comes into that position. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Joe, I feel like, obviously, this is going to lead in quite nicely to, to Jorginho. Um, and we're touching him mainly on the, in the, in the game against the Palace and his impact. But in terms of Billy Gilmore, um, like Jay said, I completely agree in regards to the capacity to to not be touched, not be tackled, not be pressed. Um, I feel it's, it's quite difficult when you're coming on as a sub and making that impact um, and getting to grips. And especially because he is only 18, it's very difficult to get to grips with that um, quickly. Um, but that being said, um, we won the game. We saw the game out, got a clean sheet. Vark um, got the third goal. But in terms of Crystal Palace, now... Billy Gilmore, again, got the start um, ahead of Jorginho. So I think a lot of people were expecting Jorginho to play. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't too sure. I, to be honest, I wasn't really sure. And obviously, Kovacic is injured as well. But I wasn't really too sure who would play. I think on the balance of things, I thought maybe it was probably right for Gilmore to start, simply because I know that Frank obviously is a big fan and I don't know what's really going on with Jorginho in terms of whether he's going to stay or whether he's going to go or not. There's a lot of murmurs about his future. Now, Gilmore, I think he started really well. Um, what, what, what did you think of his overall performance? Because I think in the first half, he was able to maintain tempo and I guess completely dominate the midfield, which was great again. But in the second half, it kind of fell, fell to pieces a little bit. Um, do you think that was as a result of Gilmore losing the tempo of the game? Or do you think that was more Palace? What did you think? And how did you think it was? Yeah. It's a good question. Um, I think that there's, there's probably a little bit of both is, is probably the fair answer. Um, I think my, my one criticism of Gilmore so far early part in his career is I think when, when the game starts kind of going away from him or moving away from him a bit, I think instead of maybe simplifying what he's doing a bit, taking a step back, trying to just play it simple, keep it simple, keep the ball moving. I think, and it's not a bad thing, I think it's just his mentality. He tries to step on the accelerator and go harder. Like, he wants to play even more difficult passes. He wants to, like, forcibly take control of the game again. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes from Gilmore's perspective, what I'd like him to do is just 
take a step back, just just play those just play short, simple passes, just mm. try and defuse the situation. Because I think sometimes it, this isn't so much him, this this is for others as well. I think sometimes we're not great at managing the momentum shifts in game. Yeah. And to be fair to Palace, I mean the last fifteen minutes, fifteen twenty minutes or so, they went full chaos at us, full bombardment. It was like completely physical. And I think in those kind of instances, we we looked a little bit overwhelmed. Um, you know, I think we'll talk about Jorginho, but he definitely came on and steadied it for a good five, ten minutes. But still, even the last, I don't know, eight, eight, ten minutes of the game was still chaos for us, I think. Yeah. So I think it's, it's acknowledging that the pass were just foot on the accelerator. Um, but yeah, I think the, the thing that we need to look at in the future is, is how we manage these moments in games because, you know, we have enough quality on the pitch to manage a team like Palace trying to sort of come at us. Yeah. I feel a little bit sometimes like we we kind of see the, the momentum and we just kind of take a step back and then it's sort of completely overwhelming. We don't really have the kind of players at the moment who can do something out of nothing, create something out of nothing or just take the game by the scruff of the neck. So it's a little bit, I think, on, on a team thing, um, maybe Lampard, maybe the personnel and how we manage momentum. But I think also as well, just some players, just, just to simplify the game, keep the ball. You know, it's, it's not the worst thing in the world. If you, okay, you, you might be passing it on your back four and Gilmore for five minutes, but if, if Palace haven't got the ball, you know, keep assisting out of their, their attack. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a little bit of both for me. If you um, were talking about making impacts, um, again, we've got the early goal um, through um, William, again, who's, people say he's in sensational form through, um, from this... Um, <laughs> post-lockdown Pele. Post-lockdown, yeah, post-lockdown, yeah, exactly. So, from this post-lockdown, he's had a lot of con- goal contribution. I think it's six, or six in five. So he's done, he's done fairly well, to be perfectly honest. Um, I wouldn't say that he's been in blinding form. I feel like this is William being William, but he's also, he's added a lot more end product to his game. But that being said, I feel he's, he, he's still had plenty of opportunities where he could have done more, but he hasn't. But I'm not going to complain too much. I'm not going to like, harbour on that too much because we know what William's about. We know what he, he brings to the team. And he brings to most matches anyway. Um, but... When you're ready to ride Metro, we want you to know we're ready for you. Here are just a few of the people at Metro to tell you how we're doing our part to keep riders safe. We're cleaning like never before, with hospital grade cleaning. You'll find hand sanitizer stations all over the Metro. No mask, no Metro. Need one, we have a few extras. At Metro, we're doing our part to keep the DC area moving. Find out more at wmata.com slash doing our part. So first goal, obviously Gary Cale got injured. I think he must have torn his hamstring because he completely, completely just went down like a sack of potatoes. Um, and Giroud got the first goal again. That's two and two for Giroud, which is great. Um, and then what do we say about Christian Pulisic? Now, one thing that was, was happening in that game was that Pulisic and William were alternating quite a lot, and Pulisic kept finding himself on the right, which I didn't actually like because um, I felt like he. He wasn't able to really impact the game. And he was... One, one thing I don't like about why players generally is them standing on the periphery. I, don't, I can't stand it. I feel like you need to be involved in the game and attacking the game. Um, but that's not necessarily his fault because I think he's much more effective when he comes on the inside. So going on the yeah. outside, I think that it's, it's not really his strength. It's not really his game. So when he plays on the right or when he's on the right, it just doesn't really, it doesn't really impact games. So when they were alternating... I wasn't quite, I wasn't really happy. Not necessarily because of him. I just didn't really like the fact that they were alternating too much. Um, so when he did move over onto the left-hand side and William picked him up, picked it up, he did a nice one-two with Giroud and he slots in 
um, Pulisic. Pulisic had to, he still had a lot of work to do. He had a lot of work to do. Um, he comes in on his left, left foot and bang. I, I, one thing I did not expect him to have was a swinger with his left. Jay, obviously Pulisic, you've, um, you, 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 I would say you, you, claim, you claim onto him. You've, you've um, been back in his, having his corner for quite some time. Um, what did you think of his performance? Or what did you think of the goal, especially? Yeah, um, I thought... Sorry, I'm a bit rattled. I'll, I'll tell you how rattled, say, because I, I think I need to go hospital with it. So, oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Oh wow. um, But quickly, what I will say is that um, it was a great goal from Pulisic. <laughs> and the dedication. This is incredible. A great goal from Pulisic. And I'm um, happy that the moments that, I, that he's taken in the game now are proving to be like, quite crucial. Yeah. Um, and I think at this time in the season, when we kind of need someone to step up and kind of be that person to score mm. or assist, like, I think he's, he's proven to be that player now. I just hope it, like I said, I, I hope, we've all said this as well, I hope it just continues to be a thing where he does it consistently, yep. more so often than, than, than not. Because, yeah, I think it bodes well for next season. And, yeah, man, I think it's, he, he, can, he can definitely be a top player for Chelsea. I think he can, he can be a top player for Chelsea, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a thing where even the numbers that he's got now, this might sound harsh, but even the numbers that he's got now compared to like top, top players, he's still got a little, little bit of a way to go. But yeah. to be fair to him as well, he hasn't had a full season. So, like, in terms of, obviously, injuries and that. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's, it's positive for him at the moment. And I think if he carries on now until the end of the season with a couple more goals, I think it would be fair to say it was a very good season for him. So, yeah, I, I agree. Now, if, if you do have to depart, Jay, fully, fully understand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and fully oh, yeah, definitely. And I'll give you congratulations <laughs> early doors. Um, but I think we know what the kid's name's going to be, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, 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 leave, we'll leave you to, we'll leave you to, to the part. And um, yeah, man, good luck with everything, bro. Always a pleasure, man. Yeah, Always. good luck. Let's know how it goes. All right, cool. All right, so Joe, it's me and you now. Um, so in regards to Pulisic, again, I completely agree with what Jay said. Um, when it comes to, to that goal... Uh, we always kind of complimented him on his, his finishing. Early in the preseason, I felt like I think he scored two goals in preseason, and there was one chance where he was like one on one, and his composure was very, very impressive. Um, mm. But that swinger with his left was—it went in like a torpedo. I was probably, I was really shocked because that was hit with conviction and hit with authority, you know. And I felt that was a, the sign of a player playing with real confidence. Um, but yeah, it was a good game, and I feel like one thing that went—we we talked about on this pod a, a number of times when it comes to Pulisic. When he's up, he's really up. And he starts to be a lot more aggressive, a lot more assertive. Yeah. Um, and again, always said this, if Pulisic starts to become an, an aggressive player, like just by nature, like the, the, the Salahs, the, the Manes, those type of aggression, always at it, he'll be a very dangerous player, very, very dangerous player and a very dangerous weapon for Chelsea. You know what I mean? So it, he's, he's got the capacity. The men in present, he's got the capacity because we've seen it in like little spurts that you know mm. when yeah. he's at it when he's aggressive he, he's very dangerous so hopefully he takes that forward and uh you know we get a, a benefit of a very very good player you know what i mean so yeah. so on the so from the positives to the to the slightly negatives um i want to touch on reese james a little bit because yeah. i feel like he he's he's come back and um from you know pre-season well, post-lockdown and um, obviously he had a little injury, which was 
I think it was another knock to his ankle or something, and that's kind mm. of curtailed him quite a bit. And I, I, unfortunately, it's um it's been a, a recurring theme for him. Um, how do you think he's done? And how is, is this a, a cause for concern, or is this just him needing games to to get up to speed again? Because I feel like we've got freaks of nature like Mason Mount, Ross Barkley that don't really need that run yeah. for me to get going. But I'm looking at Reshaim and thinking you kind of need a couple games, mate, to, to kind of get up to it. But it's very risky. So how, how are you feeling about Reese James? Are you concerned? I think, I think a little bit at this point. And I think the reason being, I, I don't know how, how fully healed that ankle injury is for him. Mm. So someone who's watched him you know, considerably through the academy years, spent a lot of time watching his Wigan performances last season, he has to be, for me, as, as close to his, his sort of physical best in terms of fitness, no injuries, to, to be the kind of dominant player that we, that we know. Mm. You know, he, he is a player who is he's an incredibly physical fullback by modern standards. You know, when you've got these kind of whippets, you know, yeah. Reese James, for me, looks more like an, an international rugby player at times <laughs> on the right hand side. It's, it's, like, it's like Ivanovic's son, you know. I mean, yeah. he's got that sort of kind of massive frame. Um, and I think the... The sort of the lack of mobility and, the, and some of the, the problems that he's had defending kind of wide one one v one are not stuff I would normally associate with him too heavily. So, mm-hmm. I think the only thing that I want to see from him long term is just to see kind of where that where that ankle injury is. Mm-hmm. You know, if he's come back, I, th- I heard that he he's, he was kind of two weeks behind everyone else. So, you know, you, you would hope over the next few games that he starts to to improve um, his condition. But mm-hmm. I think for for him to be the kind of player that we're expecting him to be that uh, ankle problem and some of these kind of little muscular injuries, the things that he's getting, I think he needs to figure out uh, a way to sort of get over those, whether that is, you know, sort of taking the Ruben route and looking to lean down a little bit in terms of his frame, I don't know. Um, but I think, you know, we, we need to sort of get into a position now where he is he is comfortable, again, physically for him to be the, the kind of player that we're expecting him it's, to be. It's, it's very odd because I never really associated injuries and Reese James. Like they're, yeah, they're exactly. Anonymous. It's quite, it's so strange that, this is now happening to him. Um, but I completely agree. I, 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 I'm concerned to a degree because I feel like probably before his injury, he wasn't always switched on when it comes to like, yeah, getting behind him. But I feel like when you're at your physical capacity, you can kind of mask it in terms of, you know, just your defensive, your, your, your natural physical ability to yeah. get, get back and, you know, cover. Um, and it just like we... Just touch on the Crystal Palace game, and you compare. There was a stark comparison. So the first half we was okay. Second half there was a stark comparison to the way he performed against Zaha um, and AU, I guess, um, in that match. In comparison to the way he played at Stamford Bridge earlier in the season, yeah. completely different. Because I feel like in, at the Stamford Bridge match, he absolutely dominated that right hand side by himself. Yeah. Completely dominated it. Zaha did not get a sniff, but this match was. It was pretty different. Um, obviously, we can touch on the, the Zaha goal, but I think that even came from not necessarily Reece James being out of position, but Billy Gilmore coming out to engage, whereas I felt like maybe Reece James could have been the one to engage. Um, Billy Gilmore came out to engage. The ball ricochets um, towards Benteke, but he leaves it to Zaha, and Zaha unleashes the thunderbolt um, in, the, um, in that regard. So... And there was a couple moments in the in the second half where I weren't happy with him at all. I felt like he he, he far too often he left. Um, it, it it was almost like a 
it was almost like a draw out. Chris Jensen kept having to come out to, to wide and I'm not comfortable with Chris Jensen out wide. Yeah. I'm really not comfortable with the way he's playing anyway at the moment, this moment in time anyway. So it just made me feel quite worried. That right, that left-hand side, so our, our right-hand side looked very, very exposed. Um, and yeah, Reece James wasn't getting back in time. And uh, yeah, he, he was putting in a, a couple of nice crosses. One, especially Giroud, should have scored for him in the second half. Yeah, but definitely. Defensively, I felt like he was labouring a lot. Um, and I do feel like a, a, a big part of, um, not necessarily, I feel like a, a big part of the reason why Palace dominated us is because physically, I think we were quite exhausted. Um, I, yeah. I saw Mason Mount, I saw Willian, I literally, I saw a ton of, even Pulisic, I saw him just really, really shattered. I, I, look, I think the only player that really stood out to me that was, Physically, okay, the only two players were, well, three, actually. Zuma, which he was fine. Barkley, he was fine, but he came off. And Aspie. Those were the three that were like, they were fine. But everyone else seemed so tired and laboured because they, they, they came out, like, off the traps in, in the Palace game, flying. Like, we were so dominant, so aggressive. We could have put, really put the game to bed. But in the second half, it just seemed like the accumulation of games really caught up with us. And when you have that and you're not sharpness in mind, and you're genuinely t- fatigued, um, you start to make mistakes, you start to be sloppy. I feel like Chris Jensen started giving the ball away, Zuma started giving the ball away, um, Gilmore, Barkley, just started giving the ball away, it started getting very, very sloppy. Obviously, Reese James as well. And it was just, um, it is a, it's a cause for concern with Reese. It is a cause for concern. But like you said, he's two weeks behind everyone now. So I will give him the benefit of the doubt. And hopefully, he just needs games to play. Because really and truly, we can't afford for him not to play. Because if he doesn't play, we're looking at Alonso back at left back, and you know what he brings. And I, we can't afford to for Alonso really in, in this running. We can't afford him to be to be playing because it is um scoring goals at this moment in time isn't an issue. Now, while people start making excuses to why he might play, we don't we don't need a goal scoring left back. Yeah, really yeah. Truly. So it's just it's um it's it's just one of the things we just hope that Reese James is uh he recovers and gets back to sharpness because right now it's not been great. Um. But talking about sharpness, um, Ruben off the cheek he came on second half. And how do you think he did? I was uh, I was so happy to see to see him back. Um, I think first of all, him being much more of a central midfielder in this game is is beneficial to him as a player. I know that, that Dan is a big fan of him <laughs> playing out <laughs> wide, but uh, I'm not I'm not throwing Dan under the bus here. But it's it's not something that I've ever really seen as his uh, his position, but. You know, seeing him pick the ball up in midfield and, and drive 20, 30, 40 metres towards their, their penalty area. The difference when Ruben carries the ball is that teams don't want to engage him because he's so physical, he's so big, he's, mm. his feet are so good that they back off. And then you saw the, the, the difference between Ruben and probably all of our midfielders is that presence of mind that he's developed now, fine for that little kind of yeah. toe poke, scoopy little pass through was so nice. Good um, by Tammy as well, but Ruben completely drew them in, and then he has the presence of mind, the quality that we've been saying in the final third that's been lacking to make the little slide ball pass and to, to set up the goal. But he looks—I don't know—you know—I I know Lampard's saying, "Yep, yeah, next season is going to be the the one for him." But he's starting to look a little bit like his old self, mm-hmm. and uh, just in terms of his mobility, he's carrying the ball. Did some really nice defensive work as well. Two two big blocks. Um, but two I think he's. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's he's getting back to the kind of player that we were expecting to be. And again, you know, looking at next season and this season, to, to be fair, towards the end, 
if he gets up to that kind of level, you know, maybe another game, another two games, it's it's a really, really big thing for us as we move forward. Completely agree. And I, I feel like with Ruben, I, I, it, it does seem like I've been a little bit hard on him um, post-injury. And that's probably because I, I, I want him to be the great version of himself. Yep. Um, so I've had to rein in my expectations, one, and two, my patience. So with Ruben, I've definitely, there was definitely a lot of positives to take from that game in terms of, I don't feel like he came on and hindered the team at all. I feel like he came on and was solid. Defensively, he was assured doing his work. So on both sides of the pitch, he was really, really good. One thing that I did notice is that small bits of his burst was returning. Um, so his ability to shift his body and move um, is definitely still there. It's definitely nowhere near his peak form. Now, I don't expect that to come for at least another two, a month or two. And that's fine. That's understandable because, you know, when it comes to Achilles injuries, it takes a little while to get the stretchiness and the elasticity back in that, in that, in that ankle. So it'll take him some time, but you have to have patience with him. But you, what you ultimately do not lack and what you do, what he does not lack is quality. And what you see with him is quality. So, yeah, I, I think naturally he will bring a, a different element to the game. And I'm not, too, I'm not really too sad him not starting games at all, really. I think bringing him on to calm things down, you know, when Jorginho came on, he can't again. He can't from sound because him and him and Ruben were able to play their one twos and just settle the tempo a little bit. Um, so yeah, definitely happy with Ruben's performance. I feel like it's it's a good step in the right direction. So it's a big step even because I feel like in a couple of games prior, he was looking quite like, out of it, and that's natural. He didn't play for what thirteen months, so it, it's really good. Now, in terms of the player we just mentioned, Jorginho. Like we said, he came on. Um, what did you think of his impact? I know you mentioned it earlier that it was only a brief amount of time that he came on and impacted the game. But do you not feel like, for me, one thing that I really noticed, and again, it references back to Cesc Fabregas, is his, his capacity to instantly, because I remember seeing a graphic on Sky that our possession was like 23%, 22%, and Palace had all of the ball in our heart. And then Jorginho came on, and that was it control was just it was absolute control um for a good at least good 10 12 minutes it was just incredible um how did you feel like that period how necessary it was because i thought that period was very important because Paris were building how do you think he handled um how do you think he's handled obviously his i wouldn't say treatment but him not being picked by frank lampard and um you know for a couple of games now uh, how do you feel he did um considering this was his first game back post yeah post um covid I think the the thing that I will never knock him for is his level of professionalism and how he carries himself around the club. For a lot of players to be thrown onto effectively kind of rescue a situation which looked like it was going quite downhill would have been something that quite a few would have just gone on and shrugged their shoulders and sort of done the bare minimum. Um, so I think from from that perspective, the, the way that he carries himself is is super important, and I think that that is something that translates to to everyone else on the team. Um, I certainly thought when he came on, there was a good five, ten minute period where, you know, his, I think his willingness to receive the ball in uncomfortable situations, his, his ability to play short, quick passes around the corners to, to move the kind of the, the focus of the ball to kind of start shifting their pressing and their defensive structure. That for me is, is really kind of what, what kind of saw the game out towards the end. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it's difficult, as we've said, to come on as a holding player, particularly when, you know, the entire momentum of the game is based in your half. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, that that quite clearly shifted when he came on. Um, the last five minutes, of the, you know, the, was it eight, probably about the 88th minute onwards, mm-hmm. I don't think there was much that he or, or many of them could do because Palace were just in pure kind of like bombardment mode. Yeah. Um, it was difficult to really do much in terms of, of how we were doing that. But before that period there, I was quite concerned, actually, that they probably were going to to, to score at some point. Yeah. And I think that period, probably up until, as I say, like the almost the 90th minute, that yeah. kind of period of control was was probably the, the most crucial aspect in in getting the three points beyond, obviously, the, the Zoom slide tackle. But it was a, a really good cameo, and I think the you know Yaz has said it in the group chat quite often that this is this is a situation now not about really planning for next season. It's it's about getting in the Champions League. So. Mm-hmm. Maybe he he you know he features more because of his experience and yeah I mean you could just see it when he came on the level of calm in the midfield just it, it kind of took over a little bit better so you know he has that quality in him to, to manage just, games. Yeah. It was top quality honestly I I was so impressed because again I, I said before the game so I was like it's a big call Frank this is a massive call to play yeah. really Gilmore against a midfield that is Palace has got a team full of PNP. So Milivojevic, um, Kuyate, just a, a solid midfield base. Obviously, you've got Zoom, oh, you've got um, Zahar, you've got um, Denteke, obviously, and you've got Au. So it's a lot of strength in there and their, their defence. So I was, like, I was quite worried for him. But Billy in the first half was, was, was great for me. Um, but he started to get overran massively. It was, it was so worrying. But... And I did feel like we were definitely going to concede again. I feel like after we got the third, it was great. But then straight away, we conceded. We switched yeah. off. Um, I'm going to touch on the, you know, the, the people that switched off in a, in a, in a moment. But um, it, Jorginho's cameo was, was excellent. And I feel like it definitely highlighted to a lot of people who were thinking, OK, you know what, you can get rid of Jorginho. It highlighted... I feel like it highlighted a degree of importance and I guess a degree of respect because I feel like a lot of people were being quite disrespectful um, towards him as a player. Um, but I feel, you know, it, it, it showcased a bit of, you know, okay, you know what? Whilst he may not be my cup of tea, he definitely brings something to this team and definitely brings something to matches if, if as and when required. So, you know, I, I, you know, I feel it was a good camera for him and definitely good for a lot of people to be reminded of, of his qualities. Um, now, back onto the negatives again. Um, <laughs> I feel like a lot of people, a lot of people were really um, annoyed at me. Well, annoyed at me because I, I said um, that Kepa really should have done better with um, the Zaha shot. And I've seen it a number of angles. I've seen a lot of like, shots from distance in terms of um, like, pictures from behind of Zaha um, and behind the goal. And yeah, my dis- my opinion hasn't really changed. Um, it hasn't really changed at all. Like, what, Joe, what did you think of it? Because obviously, people know what I think, and I, I'll kind of re- re- <laughs> state it if I need to. But I, I felt he should have done better. I should have got a hand to it. Um, and he was already falling down before the yeah the ball the ball's anywhere near him. But what did you think of it, really? Because I don't know we all have different opinions on the goal. And that, to be honest, it was a great strike. But yeah. I mean, it's the thing is the the perception I have of Kepa now is is so coloured by my overall view of him as a keeper over the past two seasons. So, mm-hmm. 
you know, I think looking at the shot, I, th- I think the, the way that I was framing it was, I, I think I think he could have done better. Mm. Um, a a hand, some part of his body onto the ball. He might not have stopped it because it was an absolute thunderbolt. Oh, to be oh, fair, oh, but sure. yeah, but the the you know when when a ball goes kind of directly over your goalie's head and he's in midair and his his you know his hand dominant hand is is quite away from the ball. You know it, it's difficult to to continually justify his his selection you know in terms of people being very vocal about supporting him saying it wasn't his fault yeah great strike loads of power behind it but I have seen good goalkeepers get something on that all right maybe it hits him and goes in or maybe it hits him and it hits the post but I would expect a decent Premier League goalie to get something on it okay as I said if it goes in it goes in but the fact that it was just like an, an air grab you know is is worrying and it's the same thing we've said often over and over again if you're centre-backs at Chelsea the amount of confidence that you have in the guy behind you is critical to your own performance levels and if you know I mean teams now I mean if this is going to be the case going forward if I'm any team that Chelsea are playing in the future who we've got Sheffield United but I'm like that Sander Bird's got a great shot from distance I'd be like you know Chris Wilder just 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 have shots from 30 yards out just test him yeah. And it's another kind of angle that teams can attack. We've already seen them stick crosses on Kepa, you know, take liberties. Who, who crosses the ball one yard from the, the goal line regularly? You know, because most Premier League keepers are going to come and claim liberties on set pieces. They take liberties with crosses. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to start teams, start, start seeing people take liberties with, with shots from distance. You know, yeah. they've got, some teams will have no right to shoot from there. It's not a good shooting opportunity. But now that they've seen that this is a potential weakness, again, it's another thing to, to attack us with. And it's not hugely something that inspires a great confidence going forward. Yeah, it's, it's not great. Like, I, it's not great at all. And I, I got a bit of stick for um, saying that, look, good keepers at, at top clubs, really and truly, should have the capacity to bail you out. Um, yeah. Referencing saves, like referencing saves that a keeper makes shouldn't actually be the instances that you should be referring to. Because goalkeepers are paid to make saves, right? So if a goalkeeper's only made one save or two saves in the game, you can't say he bailed us out here. Well, no, because that's a goalkeeper's job. In regards to moments where you're being bailed out, it's like if a shot has happened, then it's a great strike. If it's a great, great, unsavable shot, but you somehow managed to save it, that is you bailing us out. Because you basically have no right to save it. Now, if a keeper has no right to save it and saves it, that's a great keeper, right? Well, not a great keeper. That's a great keeping action. Yeah. My issue is Kepa does not ever really have those moments, you know? I feel like he's had one, that penalty against in, in Europa League last year. And again, I feel he really could have said, if he gets the right way, if he, you know, if he gets the right way, that, that's a good save. So he, he didn't go anywhere and saved it, right? Now, in terms of critical, oh my God, he saved us here. I just don't really get that vibe with Kepa. I feel like if a keep if a player's running through one on one, I know they're gonna score, you know? And we'll we'll get onto that Zuma block later on. But it's just there's a lot of um I don't know. I the 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 Zaha shot was very it was a good strike. It was a it was a good strike. But the fact Kepa was already going down before the ball was near him. I don't know. I just think that if you if you're looking at the fundamentals of goalkeeping, it's, it's just quite poor, really and truly. And like, like you said, that it could just be another angle for an avenue for for opposing teams to to get us at, like get us. At. It's just I don't. It, it, he doesn't feel more confidence, and I, I do feel like maybe a loan or, or settling might be the best thing to do. That's just my opinion. I feel a lot of people might want to stick around, but 
you have to ask yourself the question like, does he does he instill you with confidence like, if you can generally say that he instills you confidence then fine keep him there like, that will that for, hopefully for you keep him there but for me I and a lot of other fans they this episode is sponsored by schwans.com what are you having for dinner tonight hmm good question Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. Look at him and think, nah. And the, 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 the weirdest thing is that You've got uh, other teams taking liberties. Now, if, yeah. other, if, if, if he was highly regarded and rated, other teams wouldn't be taking liberties, you know? They're not going to be loading. They're going to be loading crosses on him. They're going to be putting pressure on him because they know that he's a weak link in our team. He's a weak link in our team. And whether you want to agree or not, it's fine. But every, every defense, every goalkeeper metric there is so that he's literally one of the bottom at the power. And that's just not, that's not great. It's not great reading for us. So... It's not looking great, um, but I do want to talk about one other week. Or, well, talking about weakness. Um, so, in stark contrast to, to Kurt Zuma's per, imperious performance um, against Watford, and again, imperious performance um, against um, Crystal Palace. Now, Chris Jensen. So, I've been a big backer of Chris Jensen for, for a long time, since he was about 17, 18. Um, so, I watched him throughout the youth academies. Um, but he was a lot bigger than everyone else. And um, I wouldn't even say dominant, but the way he played, the style of play was so composed, so smooth. You know, he was very unflustered when it comes to making challenges. Um, Joe, Christensen for that second goal. Um, yeah, talk to me. Because as much as I'm a big backer, or I was a big backer of his, it's just not good enough. It, it, it isn't good enough. But you look, you look at his moment against Danny Welbeck, um, against Watford, I know he didn't score, but what, and Ruben has to, to to clear it to get it away. Um, it's not good enough. That's it's happening a bit too often now for me. And um, uh, yeah, what what do, you, what do you think about it? What, what do you think? It's it's a tough one because I think as a as a footballer, you you respect the ability that he has. Certainly as a centre back, some things that he can do. Yeah. But I think certainly the way that the Premier League football is is trending at the moment, that having a very, very non-physical centre-back at the back is is detrimental. And I think, you know, you've seen kind of over the years that he has struggled pretty you know pretty considerably with anyone who's got a bit about them. Um, you know, the Antonio one for me was, was one of the big, big kind of, uh, I wouldn't say unless, like an eye-opening event, but I think for a lot of people that, that are big on Christensen, that was probably a really good example of, of just how how much physicality is, is, is important for centre-backs. And, you know, the Palace game in particular, the contrast between Zuma and, and him was was enormous. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think Christensen, the, the way I look at him, for me, he, he's probably the best five-a-side centre-back in the world. If you were going to play a five-a-side players, you know, no, no overhead height rule, you know, he's like, he's calm, he'd be fantastic. But mm. the problem is... And this is the thing that I say to a lot of people, the majority of teams that Chelsea play are in the kind of Palace mould. Mm-hmm. They're not all cities and Liverpools and, you know, where you maybe want a bit more of a, 
a cerebral flair type centre back to be there to calm things down. Mm-hmm. They are, you know, the Burnleys, the Palaces, the Sheffield Uniteds, the teams that will play physical, play long. And that's really where you've got to start making your decisions on, on your view on him because if the majority of games we're playing are going to have someone up front who is either the PMP or just, you know, like an Andy Carroll type horse tank type combo person, you know, he's going to get pinned, he's going to get rolled and he's going to get bullied in, in games. Yeah. You know, the City performance for me was great, but they didn't play a striker. Right. You know, that, that, that was no surprise that Christensen looked phenomenal when he didn't have anyone to mark. You know, and, you know, if you're, a, if you're a top centre forward, even if you're not, even if you're a, an average Premier League centre forward, with a bit of, physica- bit of physicality right. about you, who are you going to stand on? Christensen or Zuma? <laughs> yeah. so, and you're just, just going to pick an more game. It's, it's unfortunate, but I can see that being one of the, the big things that Chelsea have to address. And he's not great in the air. And that is, again, that's one of our big, big weaknesses. The, the thing with him, yeah, is that I feel like Christensen, with his just basic defensive, you know, attributes and his um, defensive actions. I feel like Chris Jensen is very good in these actions. But my issue with Chris Jensen is there's there's three main issues for me. Um, That's definitely become a lot more apparent now he's with a weaker defensive partner or or just not of the level that we had before, like in the David Luiz's, um, John Terry, etc. So with Chris Jensen, the problem that I have is his lack of aggression, his lack of physical prowess, but also the lapses in concentration now. So the lapses are becoming a lot more apparent. And I feel like lapses tend to occur when he is getting physically dominated. So I feel like Christensen, he, he's the type of defender that will only make a challenge, only make a tackle when the conditions are absolutely perfect. Because this is what he's calculated in his mind, what he's formulated in his mind. Like, okay, if I do this, if I tackle here, I'll get the ball perfectly and I'll just be able to play it on. But the, those moments in certain instances where it's not absolutely perfect, he's doing a calculation in his mind. And that already is too late because someone will look in. So the Christian Benteke um, goal the other day, he just nicks past him. You know what I mean? Uh, I think who nicked past him? I don't know if it was Zaha or maybe AU. But just nicked past him quick because the opportunity was there to not necessarily clatter, um, yeah, I'd, I'd say clatter. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, just wipe, just wipe, wipe him out. Get the ball, get the ball. Like the ability to just literally push, put your leg through it, or just make the tackle was there. And Christian just just doesn't do it. I, I think he's almost like scared to slide tackle because he just wants to make everything so silkily perfect and just ah, oh, put my foot there. It's perfect. Like it's it's so jarring because in those moments where you're thinking, okay, if I stick my leg out, the moment's there. That's that's two seconds. That's gone. You're gone yeah. and you're killed and you can't react. You can't react. And yes, Chris Jensen is very quick when it comes to running at that 1v1 in terms of pace in a foot race. But in terms of turning and reacting straight away, it's, just, it's not there. It's not as quick. And generally, the, the attacker's always going to have a head start against him. So it's just, it's very, very poor. And obviously, when you look about aggression, just physical capacity, it's been what? Chris Jensen is now 23. 22, 22 23. And again, I'm looking at his physicality and I'm worried because I don't understand how he's not at least tried to put on some size. And I, I feel like, again, aggressive, like his, once, when you see Chris Jensen and certain games, like the Watford game, I felt like for about 80%, 90% of it, he was fine. And he was being aggressive. Like he was, he was you know, he was getting onto their, their attack. Like he, he was following Zuma's lead. But then the 10%, after a while, it just went back to normal Chris Jensen, timid, tepid, no aggression, no nothing. And just 
getting ragdolled. It's just, it's not good enough for me. I feel like if we're going to get, you know, anywhere fast, we're going to need some aggression at centre-back. And really, Zoom is fine. But we need someone else with him that will match his energy. Because I just, like, if you look at John Terry, Ricardo Carvalho, John Terry, aggressive. Carvalho, aggressive. He may have not been as forthcoming, but when it comes to making challenges, Carvalho is aggressive. When it comes to Alex, aggressive. Uh, Ivanovic, aggressive. You know, you there, there's a degree of, you know, aggression in your play. Even David Luiz, there was aggression. He may have had laxes in concentration, but he was a very aggressive defender. So, it, I don't know. I feel like Chris Jensen... He's, he, he's not cutting it at this level. And I feel like Chris Jensen, he will be very, very good in the European League, the Continental League, where it doesn't require that much physical capacity, but it def- your defensive actions will, will, will shine. But in the Premier League, where you, you're, you're coming up against a lot of PNP, it's absolutely vital to have some physicality and aggression in your game. And I just don't feel that like he has enough to really cut it at the top level. So definitely, you know, in terms of concession of whether he will be an elite centre-back in the Prem, not happening for me. It's not, it's the, only, the only way I can ever be an elite centre-back in the Prem is if he goes to a team and they play for it in the back. That's the only way where he's flanked by two big... We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes... And deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. Tough physical players, because we've seen him do it. When he's a sweeper, he doesn't have to mark the guy, he can, he can read the game. Yeah. And yeah, I think that, that's, that's the only way in the Premier League that you'll see him be a a commanding player but in a two when he's got people peeling onto him and as you've been outlining that for me that, that that's where you need to have the, the defensive mentality the, the Branners the Cavaliers the JTs they had that that defensive desire and I don't always see that in his play in a two he wants to be as you say, he wants to be the elegant centre-back which isn't really what we need at this point in time I completely agree I feel like maybe in a three and being the you know being the, the middle um, centre-back maybe but other than that it's just not it's not for me it's not for me and it's unfortunate because I did I did obviously have a lot of faith in him but unfortunately it's just not it's not really worked out um so obviously you guys as you guys have been listening to the podcast for quite some time it's a Thursday um and well what happens on Thursday is generally um is we get some information now I've, I had a, a few murmurs like in my a, little, a few whispers in my ear from from Roman's yacht and um apparently Kai Havertz is 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 looking very very possible very very probable um so, like they didn't really want to tell me the fees obviously it's all a bit confidential but it looks like um, personal terms have been agreed between Havertz and Chelsea which is incredible um, obviously there's a big appeal for him to come here because we've got Timo Werner unfortunately have Rudiger too but there's a German conglomerate over here um, and obviously the, the Frank Lampard appeal is, is, is interesting because a lot of us used to think ooh Frank Lampard coming in I don't know about the player pool because he's not a, a top manager he's not an experienced manager by any stretch either um, but ultimately the club can do its pull in itself but also Frank as a player just a, a player to player relation and respect has a lot of weight and as an attacker midfielder that scores goals creates goals but ultimately you know he's an offensive sided midfielder 
you're gonna look at Frank Lampard and think you, you I get you I understand you you know so Kai Havertz you know wanted to come to Chelsea is incredible for me but also it's a testament to, to Frank obviously the way he speaks um, and then the confidence that he instills in, in these players so with Kai Havertz and we, we obviously talked about the midfield comp- composition do you feel like now Mason Mount is kind of playing in this I guess the, the this number six role where he's the one that's breaking the lines to the creative the creative and offensive eight do you think that could be a potential partnership that could work or how would you kind of work it because Kai Havertz is such a flexible player yeah a very tangible player so what would you do with with Kai? Or how do you think he fits in? And you know, who do you think the casualties will be? Ultimately, it's a squad game, and obviously the um, the the league have announced that the five premier, or the five substitute rule is going to be staying for the duration of the twenty one to uh, the twenty to twenty one season, which is great because obviously you can utilize a big squad. Um, how do you think we'll set up? What do, what do you think the best way to get the best out of Kai Havertz and the team? Because ultimately, it's not just about getting the best out of Kai Havertz. It's, the best, it's about getting the best out of every individual and the team. How do you think we'll set up? Ooh, um, I think the, the thing with Havertz is that he offers so much quality in so many different areas that it's actually... It's gonna, I wouldn't say it's going to be a problem, but it's going to be a nice problem to have for, for Lampard. Um, mm. I think his future is probably in, in a central midfield role, probably where Barkley has been playing at the moment. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he came and started as a more traditional right-sided player. Um, so kind of the William role so far, cutting in on his left foot and, and playing passes and, and finishing. Obviously, he's, he's played fantastically well as kind of a number nine or false nine this season as well. Also played as a number 10. Um, but I, I think the, the combination that certainly excites me is just seeing what, what Mount and, and, and Havertz could do as a pair. You know, the, 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 the thing for... For me, with Havertz, is that he's you know he's six two. He's got this kind of elegance when he carries the ball, but his his ability to pick passes from anywhere really in the opponent's half is insane. He's got that kind of Fabregas vision and quality to deliver balls, yeah. um, which I don't think we have really from anywhere else. He can drive at people. We know he can finish. He's great in the air. Um, so I think you'll probably see him rotate a little bit between those games depending on what's needed. If you're playing someone who's a bit a uh, bit more solid, you could probably put him on the right wing and bring a, a slightly more um, defensively minded player in as the as the right central midfielder. But I think those are going to be his two spots. And again, I mean, if if we're struggling up front, he's done very well there this season as well. So it's it's weird. Um, I think one of the the quotes that I saw about him from Joachim Lowe recently was was really interesting. He he said when he came to training that basically afterwards. He kind of asked himself, like, you know, whether this guy had been training with a German national team for, for could have been training with him like two years earlier. Mm. He said he's never seen like a kid come in and impress everyone so much and adapt so quickly to, to international football. So if he's got that ability to just come in and hit the ground running, I mean, that is an absolutely phenomenal amount of uh, weaponry to add to that attack for next season. It's an interesting one because I feel like everyone that speaks about him literally says the exact same thing. So Antonio Rudiger, um, as much as, you know, people have is their doubts about him as a defender, as a, as a quality defender. He's a great director of football. Yeah, a million percent. Because the way he spoke about him in regards to like the national team and saying that, I saw Kai Havertz and thought, wow, who is this guy? Like, he, he was so impressed. And everyone, that's, everyone that watches Kai play or trains with him says the exact same thing. So it's ultimately very difficult not to be very excited about him. Um, very excited. Because it's just, 
it's incredible, really. And he's, he's got all the capacity to, to be a great player for us. And I, I personally haven't been this excited about a player since Eden Hazard. Um, obviously, I was excited about Kante. Um, excited about Kante, but um, it's a different level of excitement in this, in, in this regard. And just considering, all things considered, um, in terms of transfers and stuff, Kai Havertz, Timo Werner, and Ziyech, it's an incredible window. It's an incredible window, really. So I, I'm hoping it goes through. Um, you guys will be the first to know, obviously, on, Ch- on Chesiawa. But it just hopefully we can get Kai in. And it, I think you just take us up to an, another level, really, yeah. because it's just the quality he, he possesses um, and the threat that he, he gives in terms of goals. He just he adds a completely new dimension to us. So, yeah, wild, completely wild. All right, so we're going to move on to a couple of listeners' questions to, to finish off the pod. Um, I've got one from Robert M. Ninety Three. Um, do you believe? Well, do you think that um, Rice is equal or better than Zuma? And if no, why? And why is this fan fan base so adamant to sign Declan Rice? <laughs> um, yeah, basically that's that's from Rob M. Ninety Three. That's coming directly from um, our patrons. I I think that they'd be a very good pair, if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Rice is certainly, for me, a guy who I, I can see organising a back four, being vocal, being the guy to do the marshalling. And I actually just think that, that pairing him and Zuma has the physical element, has the defensive skill. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Rice is no slouch when it comes to sort of keeping up with players. I've seen him keep up with some very quick guys this season from midfield and, and from defence as well. So... I think he, he would be sort of the the kind of the the, the organiser and the vocal player in the back four that we probably lack a bit at yeah. the moment. Um, I don't think he would compete with Zuma. I think he's for me certainly better than than Christensen and mm-hmm. and, and Rudiger. So I, w- I would say from a personal perspective, I think the Zuma Rice partnership would actually give us a pretty solid uh, centre back partnership going forward. Yeah. But I don't think it's it's an either or scenario of them two. I think it would probably be both together. Hopefully, because obviously the murmurs about Zuma leaving, for me, it just makes me feel quite uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, but there are people saying a lot of alternatives, so like Tyro Mings. I think Tyro Mings would be a good partner for for, um, for Zuma as well. But yeah, we're, a bit, we're strongly linked with Rice, um, and I think there's a lot of backing from the club to, to get him, so maybe. Um, that kind of falls into, in line with, with Babs's question. So Babs, like, thoughts on Zuma's potential best partner? Um, like you say, Joe, I'm, I'm assuming that you think that's Declan Rice. Yeah, Declan Rice. I mean, I'd also, I mean, I, I liked it when him and Tamori were playing together. I know yeah. that Tamori's kind of fallen a bit out of favour, um, but I still feel that even, you know, they, they might have had a mistake in them possibly. That I just think that they're upside defensively. The fact that I think that they both want to defend was a big thing for me. Mm-hmm. Tamori is like one of the most committed defenders going. And also when you're playing top teams, that, that clip that always comes back when Salah thought he was in the clear and Tamori just jogged up next to him. Yeah. It's like, I mean, you you can't you can't teach the stuff that he has, but you can teach him to be a better defender. So yeah. I would have I would have gone with with Tomi and Zuma. Yeah, that's fair. That's completely understandable. And I I agree. Tomori for me is definitely um I think he's he's been on the receiving end of a um uh, I'd say Lampard's decision to to freeze players out. Um, he, he's done it quite often this season. Um, and I guess that's because of Frank's high standards. And it's hard for me to to begrudge him. Um, but I do think that Frank should really have a little bit of patience for some of these guys. Um, but yeah. at the same time, at the same time, Frank is a winner. He has he has his standards, and it's very refreshing to have a manager that isn't 
super biased in regards to form. So if you're really not doing it and cutting it, he's not afraid to change it. So I can't complain in regards to that. Um, we've got another question from Babs. Um, if we finish third or in the top four, how do you rate the season, taking into consideration, especially how little um, some believed um, we do in earlier pots? I think that's a, that's a shot at a, a, a certain individual cast member. That being said, I'm, I'm not going to hang Pels out to dry. I, I wasn't, he wasn't the only one laughing. I was definitely cackling <laughs> his laugh as well. So he's, he's kind of taking that mantle from you. Yeah, you just he's taking it. I slipped away. Don't worry. But, no, don't worry, Pels. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to let you take the L by yourself. Don't worry. But yeah, what um, do you think? I think it's a, uh, for me personally, I thought it would be a great season. But what about you? What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's been really positive. I think the the thing probably over the last last part of the season was to see like an emerging style come play. Like we can kind of see that Lampard is now, you know, he wants his holding player and he wants to play with like some slightly more attacking midfielders. Um, you know, two central midfielders who are going to be a, bit, a little bit more box to box. Wingers getting in, scoring goals. I think that now that there's an identity being formed, but I'm slightly more positive about it. Um, I mean, my, my contention was earlier in the season when I said that we'd finished third or fourth. Was that I, I genuinely thought, and I think if I listen back, I just said that I thought everyone around us was, was rubbish. You know, and I know people were rating Spurs and, and Arsenal and stuff like that. But in my head, I was just looking and thinking, they're not, they're not that great. So it wasn't a reflection of our quality. It was more a reflection that I just felt that the teams around us were going to be rubbish. Um, but this, I think, would be, a, be, be nice to, to do to sort of finish the season third, fourth, and then try and nick the FA Cup. That would be quite a nice little uh, end of the season, I think. For me, I think that'd be a great season, to be honest. And yeah. considering that, to be honest, I was, like I said, for a number of years, really, if we do this youth project, I really don't mind where we finish. I don't really care, to be perfectly honest, as long as we're, we're building, putting in the right building blocks and maintaining competitiveness, um, I'm happy. So ultimately, this season's been, I'm, I'm quite happy with how it's gone. Even if we don't finish top four, I'll be happy because we've put in the building blocks. It will be a shame considering we've been in the top four for most of the season. But at the same time, I wouldn't be too angry because really this has been a building block. It's been a, a progressive year. And ultimately, Chelsea have progressed. The way we play is progressive. Um, the style of play is definitely there. Um, and you could definitely see that we are one of the most creative sides in the, in the league. We just have to iron out other deficiencies. But I'm always a big believer again. We sort the attack and then the events we can do later on. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I think it'll be a great season. If we finish top four, and, you know, Nick and FA Cup, that would be a great, great season for us. Um, we've got a question from Toby. Um, as I said about the, the, goal, the, the goalkeeping situation, um, does anyone have any off-the-wall off off shouts for potential goalkeepers? Um, you know, Tebow and Czech was a combined £20 million, pounds, um, and that might be the way to go with signings. I, I completely agree. There's obviously one keeper that I, I really like. That's Radjkovic. Um, yeah. He's in France. Um, he's a very, very good goalkeeper, 24 years old, and I don't estimate him being any more than £30 million. So, I don't know. I feel for me, he'd be the one to go. He's a good, tall goalkeeper, big presence. Yeah, that'd be the one for me to go, to be honest. Him or, um, yeah. you know, Onana. Onana's a good goalkeeper. He's another good goalkeeper. Like, outperforms a lot of people in the metrics. But, yeah, Radjkovic, for me, yeah, would be the one. Yeah, no, I agree. He, if you were to say, like, build me a Premier League goalkeeper, he's kind of the guy that I'd be looking at. Big, tall guy, physical, imposing. Mm -hmm. We've obviously done pretty well with serving guys in the past as well. We, we know they're a bit insane, so I That's... think he's, he's the guy that I'm looking for. But yeah, I mean, also as well, I think you're right, um, if they the fee 
Um, I don't think it would be anything over 30 mil. And to, it looks to me like he's, he's the next top goalkeeper potentially out there. I agree. I agree. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Uh, thank you for joining us. Obviously, Joe, Jay had to leave a little bit earlier. Um, but yeah, thank you for being on. Hopefully, you have some news by next week. Win against Sheffield United. And, you know, Kai Havertz might be a Chelsea player by then. But we'll see. Um, thanks for joining us. And we'll be back next week. Take it easy. Peace, Joe. Take care. Support for this episode has been provided by Ratio Keto-Friendly Dairy Snacks. If counting macros makes your head spin, count instead on a snack by Ratio. They've done the math for you, so you can spend less time studying the label and more time enjoying your day. Creamy and delicious, try strawberry and vanilla for two grams of carbs and a unique combination of sugar and protein. Interested? Ratio Keto-Friendly Dairy Snacks are now available in the yogurt aisle at Walmart. Always consult your physician before starting an eating plan that involves regular consumption of high-fat foods. Sports Social Podcast Network.